2: Hey, guys, it's Sean, and I'm here to introduce a new bonus episode that we are bringing to you guys on The Real Blend Podcast. We have the director, Amber Seely join us for her new film, No Man of God, starring Elijah Wood. Uh, it reminded me very much of that fantastic David Fincher show, Mindhunter, where uh, agents from the FBI are figuring out how to use interviews with serial killers in order to better understand where um, and how... Future crimes are going to take place. Elijah Wood plays one of the earliest agents uh, who got a chance to get in on this program. And in this film in particular, the one that it focuses on is uh, Ted Bundy, which is someplace that Mindhunter didn't get a chance to go to. So it's exciting from that perspective. Uh, Amber Seeley dove super deep into research on not just Ted Bundy, but the, um, the agents who participated in this program really exciting conversation in terms of how to put this movie together and some of the other places where she sees the film industry going. So we were thrilled to have Amber join us on the Real Blend podcast. And so without further ado, I will throw it to our bonus episode, Amber Seeley on Real Blend. We always joke uh, that the laziest, laziest question in film journalism is what drew you to this project? Uh, it's just is an that awful question. Tell me
3: about yourself. I hate
2: that. Just so tell me about yourself. <laughs>
3: tell me about yourself. I'm like, um,
2: But I was honestly genuinely curious that with a project like this, you have to live in the mindset of some really dark and disturbing material uh, for a long period of time. And so I was actually wondering, uh, you know, what sort of drew you to this? (laughs) What a lazy question. And if you had any hesitation to take it because of the amount of time that you'd have to spend in the headspace of, of some disturbing characters. And also tell us about yourself.
3: <laughs> and it, yeah, yeah, well, um, <laughs> goodbye. Uh, let's see. You know, I mean, first of all, I was drawn to the project because of SpectraVision. You know, I knew of them and obviously Elijah and I was a fan of their other films. And and I just, and I'd heard from, you know, filmmakers talk, right? Oh, those guys, you know, that production company's nice. Those are not, you know. And I'd heard that they were nice and I was like, curious. Um, so then I got the script and I read the script. And I, I also really liked that, I wasn't an obvious fit for this film that if you'd been familiar with any of my other work, you know, you wouldn't have thought, Oh yeah, let's get Amber Seely to direct a Bundy movie. Like it just wasn't a, a natural fit. And I liked mm. that. And I liked that they were interested in, in me for that. And I thought, well, wow, if they, if they're willing to hire somebody like me for this film, that means that they're the kind of people that I would want to work with because they're willing to take risks and do something weird and kind of you know, a little out of the box left of center-ish. Um, so I like that. And then obviously I read the script and I love the script. It was such a smooth read. And so often when you read scripts that get sent to you, you're like, Oh my God, I'm falling asleep and I can't, you know, Mm -hmm. and with this one, you know, obviously there was not, not that at all. I just like read it immediately straight through. So I thought, what the hell I'll go in and I'll pitch on it and see if it's a, you know, a, a nice kind of personality fit or not. And it really was. And so, um, you know, from there, the interest just grows. I mean, the other thing is that I think, you know, as a director, when you first read a script, you either have a take or you don't, you know, Mm -hmm. and I just had a take on this. I, I felt like I had something to say. I felt like I had a, you know, vision is such a sort of, you know, pompous word, but, you know, I had a, I had a take that I wanted to, to do, and I had, you know, stuff that I wanted to add to it. And so, um, yeah. Like you, it just that that sort of interest just either hits or it doesn't. And it did with this as weird as it might seem, you know, I mean, like my interest as a you know kid and growing up was all like really cheesy girly movies, you know, like Grease and The Proposal. And, you know, and so I kind of I like that I was like somebody like that who likes that kind of you know, rom-com stuff, directing a movie about Bundy like that. What is that? And that interested me. Interested well, the,
2: me. Yeah, the cute, there was a cute meat in this in this film I found to be odd. Just
3: <laughs> <laughs> the rom com, it's, it's a rom com. You didn't get that.
4: <laughs> uh, Amber, you know, I was thinking about all of the different um, Bundy projects that we've seen over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And all of them that I could think of uh, have been directed by men. And I was wondering, I hate to ask questions about someone being one sex or the other sex, but I was curious about being a woman and the perspective that that gave you that maybe no one else has had when tackling the subject of Bundy.
3: Well, I went through, and I have it in front of me because I I just opened it up. I went through all the Bundy movies that have existed prior to mine, and I think there are 22 now total, uh, including mine, that have come out. And I can only find one other one that was directed by a woman, Uh, the capture of the Green River Killer in 2008. And I can't remember if that was a documentary or a narrative. There's one other person. um, There's one other name I'm trying to find on my list here that I wasn't sure. Oh, it's a, a... Ted Bundy, Natural porn Killer in 20, 2006, Sasha, S-A-S-C-H-A, Olafson, And I think it's a man. I wasn't t- totally sure. But so basically, I think there's only been one or two other films, Bundy films that have been directed by women. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess for that, for me, I just felt I just felt like, look, I know what it's like to walk down a dark alley hear footsteps behind me and get scared. You know, that, like as a woman, you just, you grow up with that. Like you you grow up knowing, always be aware of your surroundings, hold your keys like this in your hand, you know, make sure, you know, you check in with someone, you know, you were just taught that, right? As women growing up. Um, And men, I think, again, generalizing, don't have to have that same fear and anxiety about their personal physical safety out in the world all the time. Um, And so I just felt like, I'm not approaching the film as a female filmmaker, but I'm approaching it with all of my experiences as a woman. Like I I can't take those out of my brain. So what happens is it led me to go, well, what do the victims think of all this? What do they feel like? So that led me to add that aspect to the film of the women in the movie. So all of those essentially background actors, we dress them as the victims. Um, You see, they're looking directly at Bill and Bundy and then they eventually take their gaze and direct it to us the audience kind of asking that larger question of why are you so interested in this guy you know why do you know his name and not my name and um, yeah and just kind of you know setting the gaze back on all of us and you know me as well I'm as guilty as, as anybody you know because I'm making this movie you know I'm putting another Bundy film out into the world. Um, But why is it that we all are so fascinated with things like this, you know? And I don't don't think there's an easy solution to that. I think there's, you know, there are both good reasons and bad reasons why we're really interested in the trauma of others. Um, So I'm not really passing judgment on that per se. I'm just asking the question, um, you know, Anyway, sorry, I went off there. But, uh, no, no, it okay. was great. But I, I would like you to sort of- And now I'd tell like me to... about myself. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you notice too, we started both of our questions by saying, uh, I hate to, to ask you this and we don't do this. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to branch away from that briefly. Um, what sorry. were you looking for in in your actor when you were casting Ted or uh, or did Luke come with the project? No, uh, Luke didn't come with the project. Luke,
3: I forced him. I, I was like, you <laughs> are going to do this. Um, Luke- I mean, I used to be an actor. I love actors. It's like my, you know, I just, it just gives me such joy to work with actors. And, uh, so casting is really important to me, and I always really want to cast actors who are the kind that are willing to just jump all the way into the water. Like, I, acting is not about dipping your toe in; you gotta either jump in or not, you know? Because at the end of the day, if you film something that you don't need, that's fine; it ends up on the cutting room floor, and you don't need it. But you gotta try it, and you gotta try it 100%, and really mm-hmm. be willing to play. And I, I, just have been a fan of Luke's forever. Ever I saw him in—he um, was a, hes Canadian. He was in a Canadian show called Slings and Arrows a long time ago. I saw that and then obviously I was a fan of his work from um Sarah Polly's film Take This Waltz and from mm. um you know Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and so I just I just I don't know I just I was like oh my god Luke Kirby, he would be an amazing Bundy and then I started pulling together um photos of him and photos of Bundy and like I would do I'd look for a photo of Luke kind of making a this sort of face and then a photo of Bundy and they oddly looked like really similar and so then I couldn't get Look out of my head for this role. Did you role. tell him
4: that? Because I don't know how I would respond yeah. to that if someone was like, you look so much like Bundy.
3: <laughs> I'm going to show you guys. I know this is weird over like a podcast, but I actually made No, we No,
4: we do a visual like, a element too. This is all Oh my yeah. God. Oh, that's
2: cool. That I don't is awesome.
4: I
3: see it, But it's all these. So I made that little thing and I did show it to him and he of course was like this. That's traumatizing. So (laughs) you're totally right. He was not thrilled (laughs) to see that. But um, I think I made that actually like I didn't put it all together until after he was already on board. But basically, he we offered him the role and he turned it down, which was fine. You know, that happens a lot. But we have friends in common. And so I, I just I said to him i emailed him and i said listen i totally respect your wa- not wanting to play bundy like can we just meet and chat because i've been a fan of yours and i just want to let you know what my perspective is on the movie and, how, and what my approach is going to be and and so we met and we ended up you know really getting along and having a good friendship and having a really interesting conversation about the very nature of making movies like this you know what is it that we're doing and i was able to convince him i said look because he said what is my mom going to say when i tell her i'm playing Bundy?" and i said tell her you're helping female filmmakers I said, tell her how hard it is for women you know like two percent of movies are directed by women or something I said tell her that you're you know you're wanting to you know bring some gender balance uh to the film industry and so he laughed and said okay I'll tell I'll tell my mom that so um so yeah he did eventually agree to come on because I think he understood that this wasn't about um titillation or you know really reveling in the gore or recreations of his crimes Mm -hmm. you know i was never interested in that that's been done before and it's not where my interest lies so you know Mm
2: -hmm. i like that line that elijah's character had where he was like you know don't show me the crime scene photos you know i want to see the psychological profile i found
4: that to be really fascinating
3: yeah, that's a, that was a true thing that Bill said.
4: Yeah. Uh, Amber, you know when when a director is making a movie about a, a fictional serial killer, you know whether it's Jonathan Demme or David Fincher or Michael Mann, they can kind of go nuts. They can kind of get creative and have flourish and do whatever they want to do. When you're dealing with a real killer who therefore had real victims in this world, it's a little bit more complicated. Obviously, you want to be respectful. You don't want to be you know like uh, you know overly you know flourishy when when dealing with certain elements of it. I'm sort of curious. Is there for lack of a better word, is there a danger in making a movie like this too entertaining? Is there a balance between like, hey, you're making a movie and you need to keep our attention versus like, look, this happened. And there are families of the victims that are very much still out there that you have to be respectful towards.
3: That's a really good question. Yeah. There's it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a danger for sure. And I think that in as much as I can say, like, there are too many Bundy movies, we're obsessed with this, I'm completely as guilty as the next person, you know, like, I also made a Bundy movie. So um, it's a really complicated issue. It was really important to me to deal with the concept of the victims in some way that felt respectful, didn't feel um, saccharine, or like it was taking advantage in any way, you know, um, which is why I did the thing of adding, you know, like, inserting the victims essentially into the narrative even though they weren't present then r- mm. literally um but just inserting them into the narrative in another way you know those background actors like i said we had them dressing you know they were dressed and made up to look like actual victims in outfits that they had really worn and mm. um but yeah i mean it's uh, if a, if a victim's family were ever to come out with the argument of why are you always drawing so much attention to this person who brought so much pain? All I can say is you're completely right. Like they're completely right, you know? And I am completely guilty of that, you know? Um, And I would hate to ever think that I was adding to anybody else's pain, you know, by making this film. Um, at the same time, you're right in what you said. This is an industry. It's an entertainment industry. You know, we're here to entertain and we make movies about things that people are interested in. Um, and people are interested in Bundy and they're interested in serial killers. And I like to think that they're interested Um not always because of nefarious reasons. Like I think of it as, you know, when you're driving on the freeway and you see a car accident, we all rubberneck and, and turn to look. I think there's actually something really kind of special and beautiful about that. And I think it's that we're worried about other people. You know, we're worried about, yes, our own pain, but it's also really human connection. You know, watching somebody else in pain is is a it's hard and beautiful and also makes us feel much more connected to like, our human, our, our mortality, you know? And so I think there's something in that, uh, you know, in the whole sort of thriller, horror, serial killer genre, you know, I think there's, there is something um, sweet and kind, you know, as well. It's not just about, you know, people who like to watch gore. I mean, certainly there's all sorts of people who are fans of all kinds of things, but I also think that there are people who just care about human life, like we all do. We're, we're just, am I making any sense? Like when no, you, you know, if you, if you see yeah. a car accident on on the side of the road, it's not. I think we're all looking because we're like we think, oh my God, there's a human being in pain. There, we're not looking because mm-hmm. we're like, I want to see someone smashed in and bloody. Like it's it's not a excited thing. It's like, a, oh God, that poor human, that poor mm-hmm. other human. And so I think there's that element in this genre as well. Um, but again, like I said, that doesn't mean that there isn't also. A kind of negative side to this, and it doesn't mean that I'm not also guilty of of exploiting, you know, whatever it is our society's interest in this is. You know, I mean, I'm definitely trying to ask the question in the movie: why do we know Bundy's name and we don't know the victims' names? Mm-hmm. Why are there 20 movies about Bundy and, and not 20 movies about the victims? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what the answer to that question is, but I, I certainly wanted to ask the question. At
0: Parker, our purpose is simple.
2: Amber, we have a lot of um, up-and-coming filmmakers who listen to our show to, to hear these interviews from, um, from directors, and so I want to ask a technical question. Um, there are huge chunks of your film that are extremely compelling, but they're just two men having a conversation over a table. Um, can you talk about the challenge as a director of coming up with new and fresh ways to just shoot a conversation um, and to still keep it compelling?
3: Yeah, so it was really important to me that that room be actually like, you know, a real interrogation room. At one point, someone was like, let's put sconces on the walls. And I was like, sconces on the wall? (laughs) There's no interrogation room that has sconces on the wall. You know, so I wanted the room to be authentic. But what that essentially meant was like, we've got one light it's above their heads. You know, that's what interrogation rooms look like. They're different now. Some, you know, there's often ones that have all the neon lighting and stuff, or the fluorescent lighting. Um, But so that sort of authenticity of the space time period was really important to me. Um, But yeah, certainly I was like, okay, two guys for hours on end, you know, in a room, nothing, nothing else, no one else comes in and out, nothing really, you know, happens. But then I remembered, I was like the human body and the human face is really, imminently watchable. Um, And especially with the actors that we have, you know, Elijah and Luke, like, they're just, you know, I could watch them read the phone book. You know, they're both so interesting looking. so compelling. They really draw you in. That really, you know, put me at ease. So casting is part of it, right? Cast interesting people, cast Mm -hmm. good actors, cast people with compelling faces. Um, And then the other part of it is, is that there's so much you can do with lighting and with camera. You know, for us, we took the approach of there's these four different times that they meet in the room, their relationship changes. The first time they meet, it's all about Bill is trying to figure out who is Bundy? Like, who is this guy really? So I was like, okay, well, that is, it's very clear to me then Bundy's obscured. We're seeing him under the arm. We're seeing him under the table. We're seeing only like half his face or three quarters of his face. His eyes are not completely lit. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many ways to make it visually um, representative of what is going on kind of in in terms of the subtext of the film. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as the conversations continue, um, you know, we worked our way, you know, with the visual language of the film towards the final scene, which was just, you know, really intimate close-ups. Because at that point, they'd been friends for six years. They know each other really intimately. They've shared so much about each other. Bundy is no longer, you know, um, opaque in any way. Mm -hmm. And so then we're like really seeing him clearly up close. We're getting a lot more like texture of skin, pores, eyelashes, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and much more frontal, you know, more cent- him centered in the frame, right? And the, the scenes in the middle when they're becoming alike each other, I was like, well, let's, you know, basically Bill is asking the question, can I be like Bundy? Like, are we similar? And so that's why, why I did the visual, you know, the merging of the two of them.
4: Right, right. Thank you very much. Uh, Amber, I want to ask you a question about Bundy that, that I've actually always kind of wondered myself, which is what, was it about him that attracted so many different people i mean you never the, the the sort of stories you hear about him in terms of how he drew people toward him you never hear about ed gein or john way gacy or dahmer but something there was something about but even like okay. at his at his trial People were were, you know, there and and it kind of goes into the whole weird sort of celebrity angle of, of how people ha- you know, even treated him when he was when he was sort of going through the whole trial process. I'm sort of curious, having done so much research and, and, and gone through this whole process of understanding sort of who he was, what was it about him compared to other serial killers that have captured our attention that really drew people toward him?
3: There's so many answers to that question. I mean, the first one is that interest begets interest, right? so it's like if there if we talk about there's interest in him then there's going to be more interest in him sure. you know like it, it it builds like in the way that popularity and celebrity builds you know there's interest in the kardashians and there's people that hate that there's interest in the kardashians which then <laughs> makes more interest you know it's the same kind of effect for bundy i think that originally like organically the fact that he was just a very sort of average kind of pleasant looking guy i mean he wasn't i don't think he was a male model as sometimes people portray him to be i think he was attractive yeah, yeah they stunning. say good
4: looking all the time and and, and i'm not necessarily yeah. like the judge on that but every time i see pictures i go like that guy Like, mm-hmm.
3: he's, yeah i mean he's fine looking but i but i think that's the thing so a lot of serial killers um you know for example the night stalker you know Some people like that, you'd look at them and you'd go, oh, yeah, I would definitely cross the other side of the street if that person was walking. Like they have a very, I'm forgetting the guy in Florida, the really tall, just very weird looking, like almost antisocial, never had any facial expressions, that guy. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of them that are just visually people that you would be scared of if you encountered them late at night. And Mm -hmm. Bundy wasn't that, you know, he just looked like a normal guy. Um, And... I think the, you know, I don't also don't think of him as this like incredibly smart person. I think he was smart enough, but he wasn't the, you know, brainiac that he wanted everyone to think he was. But the one thing that he did figure out was that women are socialized to be nice and to take care of people. And so he learned that like, oh, if I have a broken arm and I can't carry my books and I asked that young woman, she has been literally trained from birth. To be kind, to be helpful, to not say no to men, to be sweet, to be likable, you know, all that stuff. So she is much more likely to say, yes, I'll help you, you know, uh, to your car or whatever um, than, say, a a boy is or a man is. Um, So he realized that, Um, you know, additionally, I think that um, I mean, I just think it was his 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 way of approaching everything as like a. a normal, everyday person that was appealing to people.
2: The film also brings up a really interesting concept that I don't think I've ever heard suggested uh, in a a film like this or in any other type of film, which is that the FBI doesn't actually catch people, Um, that that there are killers who sort of choose when they would like to get caught. And uh, I was hoping that you could sort of elaborate on your opinion on that um, and, and where it sort of came from.
3: Well, so that's something that Bundy actually said. Th- those okay. interviews with the two of them are almost all recorded verbatim conversations between Bill and Bundy. We got all of those. Bill Hagmire was a producer on the film and he gave us access to all of those tapes. So that was mm-hmm. something that Bundy had actually said. I mean, part of it is that that wasn't Bill's job at the time. They were profilers. They were supposed to understand the mindset of serial killers after the fact, you know? So Bill's job wasn't in fact, to catch anyone. And that was, and he, that was, he was trying to make that very clear to Bundy himself. You know, he was like, I'm not here to, you know, get you on anything or catch you. Like I really just want to understand you and understand why the why's and the how's and all of that. Um, but additionally, um, I mean, I, I think when Bundy says that, he doesn't mean only the FBI. I mean, I think he meant in general, all the investigators don't really catch people. I think he thinks that if any serial killer wants to get killed, like they either are not good and they slip up and so they're dumb and they get mm-hmm. caught or they eventually grow tired and want to get caught. So that mm-hmm. that's his kind of take on it. I mean, I personally disagree. I think that investigators do catch people and I think that quite often they don't want to be caught and they get caught. And I think Bundy didn't want to get caught and got caught, you know, because Mm -hmm. he slipped up and made a made an error or two. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, it just depends on what department you're talking about. But I think that particularly back then in the 80s, and the this department got set up, it was only four or five guys who were the first profilers and their jobs were not to catch these people. So I don't know how that's shifted from now. I mean, I would imagine, you know, that part of the FBI has grown quite a bit and that now there is some sort of preemptive, you know, trying to catch people before. I mean, that was their goal, right, of profiling is that they could take that information and give it to investigators who are actively searching for serial killers and use it. But I don't know if there's a department of the FBI who... Are out there you know on the streets trying to find people or if it's more research-based
2: yeah i just found that comment so fascinating because of the amount of time and attention that we as a culture focus on you know these procedurals you know these shows that are all about tracking uh and catching somebody and the way that he was suggesting like now nah, they never really catch anybody
3: <laughs> i mean one <laughs> certainly, you know i did talk about that with bill at one time and he had given he pointed me towards a bunch of statistics and you know so but certainly i mean I don't know enough about the statistics about that like you know one could certainly how much money we spend on say the FBI any profiling department you know investigative aspect sides of of police departments you know and look at how many serial killers are actually caught versus like money spent on it
4: mm-hmm.
3: smarter brains than mine would have to <laughs> you know parse that out but
4: Amber you talked about how this film is Sort of unlike anything that you've done before and there's kind of a part of you that was sort of like, okay, can I can I sort of tackle something like this and pull it off? And obviously you did, but I'm sort of curious, have you started looking ahead to sort of what genre is the next like, oh, I haven't done that, but but obviously if you were able to sort of move in this direction, you could, you know, if you were able to zig, you can obviously zag. So I'm sort of curious, what is what is the next like, can I pull this off for you?
3: Well, I really, I'm attached to a comedy script, which I'm really excited about uh, doing next. And I, um, like, as a person, I really like comedy. I I watch comedy a lot. I'm a sort of jokey person. Um, So, and I've done a little bit of drama, you know, dramedy, comma dramedies um, before, but I'd like to do something really, really firmly comedic. Um, But I think for me, it's not, I'm always drawn by the story and what it's saying. And like, where you can go performance wise, rather than just the genre. So, you know, I'm open to any genre, depending on if the story pulls me in or not. Sure. Well, And to that
2: end, Amber, and we'll wrap you up on this one. Um, This is your first time directing, I believe, uh, directing a feature that you didn't write prior to yeah. is that correct yeah um, correct. so just talk about that transition what was it like taking on um, someone else's work is that something that you wouldn't mind doing going forward do you like being the author of the project from the from the very first step if you talk about those differences I was just very curious
3: um yeah no it was really fun to do it's a lot less work when you don't have to also be the writer I mean I did a pass you know directors that also write they usually come in and they do a pass the script so like I said you know I added in all the, the women the women victims and stuff um but it was I mean, it was great. I loved working with the writer and, you know, it was such, it was a really great um, just group of people that, you know, we all had similar interests and stuff. Um, I certainly love writing. I mean, I still, you know, I have stuff in development that I've written. I'll always write. It's always, you know, it's like a part, part of me. Um, But it's just, it's just slightly different. It's like you, I mean, it's also different if you are directing episodic television or if you're directing narrative film. I mean, with, with narrative film, you, you get to have a little bit more of a say, you know, you get to have a little bit more of a voice mm-hmm. than you do, say, if you're directing what somebody else wrote uh, for television. Um, so, I mean, it's just as... I don't know. It's just different. It just really depends. You're going to, you're going to add different amounts of your own voice depending on the project. You know, some projects you come on and the script is written by like 10 different people and there's not a co- coherent voice. And so then you like, okay, I'm going to come in. I'm going to really put my voice in and kind of make it more mine. And sometimes you come in like with this one where the script is really wonderful and it's there and you're just going to add some frosting on the cake. Um, and that was the experience here. But I mean, making a movie is always just making a movie. You know, each one is its own beast. They're all really different. There's going to be ups and downs about everything. Um, And to me, the process is really fun, regardless of whether I wrote it or not.
2: Good. Well, we hope you get to keep doing it. And we're thrilled that people finally get a chance to see No Man of God. So Amber, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so so Great to
3: speak with you guys.
2: Thank you so much to Amber Seely for joining us here on Real Blend. We're so excited to be able to bring these bonus episodes to you guys. Hopefully you got a chance to hear David Lowery, uh as part of the main show. Uh, and then, of course, we had the director from The Night House as a bonus episode uh, earlier th- this week. Uh, I know, as you guys can see from my backdrop, I'm still in Las Vegas. On next week's show, I'll bring you a lot of updates from CinemaCon. I know the guys are going to be able to finally talk about Shang-Chi. Uh, and I think that they are also seeing a very exciting film um, from a director who we are uh, really hoping to get on the show. Hashtag if it happens. Is that what the kids are doing? Hashtags nowadays? I'm not quite sure. Uh, thanks, guys, for tuning in to our bonus episode. Hope to see you guys soon. We'll check you out on the main show. Premium subscribers we will see you on a new episode on Monday. Uh, and as always, a pleasure spending more time with you guys um, together in the Blender family. So, QB. At Parker, our purpose
0: is simple.